This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about what does asset allocation really mean? Here's the thing, is there's a lot of noise out there about what this actually means. I put the words asset allocation into Google and I found 139 million articles <laughs> or references to asset allocation. 139 million! So inside of those, within the first two pages on Google, I found four different explanations of what asset allocation really was. So there's no wonder that when clients come in to talk to us, there's some confusion about what asset allocation really means when we're talking about it in terms of their actual portfolio. So let's dive into this. The actual definition that I read on Investopedia says that asset allocation is an investment strategy that aims to balance risk and reward by apportioning your portfolio assets according to your goals, risk tolerance, and your investment time horizon. Now I kind of like that one because it does look at it with things in a more holistic picture. But the reality is there's more to the story than just that. Another definition of asset allocation talks about allocating your investments against different investment vehicles. So investment vehicles meaning things like stocks or bonds or mutual funds or many other different types of investment vehicles that are out there. Now I'm not recommending those, I'm just saying those are types of investment vehicles that could be considered part of an asset allocation strategy. So. What is it? Is it investment time horizon? Is it goals? Is it risk tolerance level? Or is it investment vehicles? Hmm, no wonder, again, this gets to be so darn confusing. A third explanation that I read about asset allocation was that you need to divide your investment vehicles down into asset classes. So you need some large cap, you need some small cap, you need some international was what the article was saying. Okay, well then again, there's a third completely, totally different explanation for asset allocation. And then the last thing I saw was by age. Asset allocation should be done by your age, which I think that has some merit to it, but boy, if that's the only thing that you paid attention to, it certainly wouldn't be very personal to you now, would it? If everybody your age was supposed to do asset allocation exactly the same darn way. So what I wanna dive into, since there's clearly confusion and apparently 139 million articles to sort through about becoming an expert in asset allocation, what I wanna do is talk about what does this really mean for you in terms of it being actually personalized. What is important for you to know about asset allocation to make sure that when you're working with your own portfolio, that asset allocation is a technique that's working for you. So let's break it down in terms of what I feel is the most important order of importance, and then we're gonna kind of go through those categories. So first of all, from an asset allocation standpoint, I feel like the very most foundational part of asset allocation 
is figuring out what the purpose of your money is. I was visiting with somebody this morning and they said, I have eight different accounts because every one of those eight accounts has a specific purpose in mind for me. That's how I, how I break it up for myself. And I'm thinking that's great. You, that person really, really has a strong level of purpose aligned with the money that they want to have. Okay, great. And we also have other people that have all their money in one account <laughs> and their purpose is, well, I just want to be comfortable the rest of my life. Now, is that the right way to do it? Probably not, because my hunch is that there's a deeper purpose for some of your money. It's not just generalized, take care of me for the rest of my life. So the first thing that asset allocation should look at is what's your purpose of the money? The second thing is what's your time horizon? So within that purpose, how long is it gonna be until you actually wanna use the money for that purpose? There's some very specific guidelines that we like to follow that help us align purpose and time horizon. Time horizon is just a fancy word for when are you going to spend that money? <laughs> Again, the, the investment industry is notorious for coming up with words that can be confusing. <laughs> and so let's just make it simple. When are you going to spend the darn money? The third piece of asset allocation, the third order of importance is once you know the purpose and once you know the time horizon, what's the appropriate investment vehicle then for that money that's going to allow it to be a good fit for your purpose and for your time horizon. There are many different investment vehicles out there. There are some that are great, there are some that are terrible, and there's everything in between. But how do you align what the purpose and the time horizon is with the investment vehicle that's a good fit for you? That's the third step. And then the final step is within those investment vehicles, how do you appropriately diversify within asset classes to make sure that some of your money is in the right asset class percentage wise? Every single asset class once in a while is the best and every single asset class once in a while is the worst. We can look back historically and say, oh, well, gosh, this one was the best, but we can't look forward and predict which one is going to be the best. So diversifying within asset classes gives you a shot at having some of your money in the best performer each year and gives you a shot in not having all of your money in the worst performer every year. Okay, so let me just say those again really quickly. Order of importance, in my opinion, for asset allocation. Number one, what's the purpose? Number two, what's the time horizon? Number three, what's the investment vehicle? And number four, inside the investment vehicle, allocating across asset classes. All right, great. Now that you know that, <laughs> let's dive into those a little bit more. Your purpose. Your purpose about money, I wanna spend a little bit of time on that. The purpose of money is really what creates value for it. If money didn't have a purpose, if money didn't bring you value, we wouldn't care about it. But the reality is money does bring you value because it allows you to choose to do things. I believe, and this is a very key money philosophy for me, I believe that the only thing money really does is that it buys you choices. So think about this. Times in your life, maybe when you've had no money, your choices have been pretty limited. Limited in what you wanna go do, limited in what you're able to buy, limited in how you're able to live. 
maybe even limited on how you're able to move around in the world, transportation-wise, things like that. So the less money you have, the more limited your choices are in terms of what you can choose to do and have. When you have more money, you have a wider array of choices. You have the ability to make choices between choice A, B, C, D, all the way to Z, the more money that you have. You have the ability to choose what kind of home you live in because you can afford more than one option. You have the ability to choose a vehicle that's different because you could go from inexpensive all the way to expensive. So the purpose of your money really ties to the choices you want to make in your life and the life that you want to lead. Now there are some very specific types of purposes that we can kind of bucket into when it comes to money. The first one is that money, we need income, right? We need income now. <laughs> That's partly the purpose of your job is to create income now. But part of people's money purpose also is to be able to have money saved for later when they don't have a job, when they don't have that income coming in, they're wanting to create an income stream in the future. So that's a big purpose for a lot of people, especially with us where we work with so many people who are approaching or into retirement. How do we actually use the wealth you've created to create income streams for you that are efficient, tax effective, and things like that? So income, current and future income, is a big piece of people's money purpose. Another thing is spending. So spending currently, just in our day-to-day, -day, again, that's part of probably what your current income or your current job is doing for you, but spending can also be planned spending in the future. So if you know you have a big expenditure coming up, we call that a planned expense. Maybe you need to buy a car. Maybe you need to pay for a wedding for a child. Maybe you're trying to uh, you know, spend money on the things that you are going to uh, want to purchase like a boat or a lake house. So there's big purchases for spending and then there's the little purchases, the day-to-day -day expenditures like paying your utility bill or paying for your Starbucks coffee or things like that. So income is one thing, spending is another thing. They're a little bit different. Savings is huge. Savings really takes a couple of different tolls. So one of them is saving for emergencies. Emergencies can come up, they can knock you off guard. And here's the thing, like when you go back and you think about those times in your life when you didn't have money, if you didn't have a lot of money, you probably didn't have a big emergency fund, and then any small type of emergency could really knock you for a loop because you didn't have the financial backup to be able to take care of yourself. I remember back when I was a youngster having car problems. I didn't have an emergency fund built yet, and so having a car repair that costs $1,000 was something that totally threw my financial life into a wreck because I didn't have that money set aside for emergencies, and I had to figure out how I was going to come up with it and how I was going to pay for that repair. So those are the kind of reasons that emergency money really is important. When you get to the point where you have more money, you want to have some emergency money saved aside for a variety of different things. Everybody's life is different, so your amount is different. But the reality is that emergency funds need to be enough so that you can sleep at night. There's a gut check number that most of us have that when we think about it, you know if you have that much money set aside, you're probably feeling fairly comfortable if anything comes along and hits you.
So emergency money is another purpose or goal for money. So we've covered income, we've covered spending, and we've covered saving for future expenditures, and we've covered emergency money. Most of the time, money purposes fall into one of those categories. Now, some people say, well, Mary, what about gifting? What about charity? Well, I would venture to say that falls into your spending category because you are spending your money to do good in the world. And fantastic. I love it. Do more of that. But it's still money spending because it's an outflow from your home. Congratulations to Mary Stirk and the team at Stirk Financial for earning a spot on two Forbes lists, Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors and Forbes Top Women in Wealth for four years running. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, where today we're diving into what asset allocation really means. So we've talked about the fact that you really want to drive it high level first from the purpose of your money, then you want to focus on your time horizon, then dial into investment vehicles, and then further at the more micro level, what asset classes inside those investment vehicles make sense. And that's really what asset allocation means when we bring it down to the very personal level. So we spent a little time talking about the goals and the purpose of money. Now let's spend a little bit of time talking about time horizon. Time horizon, as I said before, really just dials into when do you wanna spend your money? When are you gonna actually take that money and trade it for something of value. So time horizon can be broken down into many different ways, but the way I like to think about time horizon is this. I like to think about it in terms of buckets of time. I like to think about it more in terms of now, soon, and later, because that's easy. That's easy to kind of remember. Now is what I think of is in the next year. That's very short term very short term. Now money is money I'm gonna spend in the next 12 months. Soon money is more of a medium term time horizon. Soon money is what I think of in terms of sometime within the next 10 years. And then later is more of a long-term horizon and long-term horizon I like to think of in 10 years or more from now. So now soon and later, or one year, 10 years, or more than 10 years. And that's a pretty basic and easy way to understand what time horizon means. Now, once you've isolated your time horizon and you know that purpose of your money, the next part of asset allocation really is diving down into specific investment vehicles. Here's the reality of things. Each time horizon tends to have investment vehicles that align better with it. There's no one perfect investment vehicle for everybody. There's no one perfect investment vehicle for each time horizon. It always is personal and drives off of how you feel about risk. Okay, so when it comes to it, your now bucket or the money you're going to spend in the next year, you really do want to have that be more ultra conservative. So think more along the lines of bank money, things that's protected by the FDIC guarantee. If you're gonna spend the money in the next year, I don't think you have any business having your money in the stock market 
with a lot of risk attached to it. You really want it to be ultra conservative because if you're going to spend it in the next year, you don't want to run the risk of losing it before you actually go to spend it. Now the soon bucket, that 10 year time horizon, that's something that I think should probably be more conservative, something that's more income based. It might be where you're going to take your income during the next 10 years or spend out of during the next 10 years. So again, we don't really want that exposed to a lot of market fluctuation, but maybe it's okay for it to be kind of a little bit of market fluctuation. Depends on you personally and how you feel about the risk. There are a lot of different risk tolerance levels out there that range all the way from conservative up to aggressive. But the bottom line is for many people in that soon bucket, in that next 10 years, money that's purpose and time horizon is going to be for the next 10 years. That probably is money that should be aligned with either a conservative investment vehicle or something more moderately conservative. Now, that later bucket is where the fun can be for a lot of people. That's where the big potential rewards can be, but it's also where the bigger potential risk can be. The later bucket has completely different investment vehicles that might be appropriate for it, because now we're talking about something that generally for many people is somewhat market driven. Now, not everybody, but again, this is custom designed for you. So your later bucket is where we tend to see investment vehicles that are more moderate, moderately aggressive, aggressive, or even all the way up to speculative in nature because it's money we're not going to need for a while. So if the market's doing its thing like it does and goes up and down, if you don't need the money for quite some time, if the market's going up and down, those downs don't get locked in because you're not taking the money out while the market's down. You have time to try to leave it in there to help try to get that market to come back up again before you actually need to spend the money. So that's how we start to align the risk levels and then therefore the investment vehicles that make sense for somebody inside your different buckets based on time. Now lastly, let's talk about asset class. This is the part where I think that people get the most confused on. And here's the thing, an asset class is just a segment of the market that has been grouped together by some common factor. So one of the most common asset classes is large cap or large company. This just means companies that have over a certain amount of revenue a year. So that by size, they can be distinguished into small, medium, or large, just like your clothes. By style, they can be broken down into value, asset, or core, or blend, and then growth. So value, core, and growth. Blend and core are kind of an interchangeable asset class name. But here's the thing, companies out there that are in a growth type of style, they're companies in good financial position most of the time that are just gunning for growth. They haven't recently fallen on hard times, they've got good balance sheets, they've got good products, they've got good cash flow, and growth funds are something that those companies are trying to go for growth. Now every company's different, not all of their metrics might be fantastic or considered good, but that's the research that somebody that is an advisor or planner or research is going to do to figure out which ones are better to go into. 
Now, growth is very different than value. Value funds tend to be companies that for whatever reason their value has dropped. It could be that they've fallen on hard times. It could be that they've had some kind of scandal. It could be that there's some kind of headlines going on or they've, they've had just some kind of problem and their value is lower than what it probably should be. A value company is trying to get back to its correct value from an undervalued position. So companies that are in the value side of things are in a very different economic position than companies that are in the growth side. So you can see how those two styles differ. Now the bottom line is this, sometimes large is the best, sometimes mid cap and sometimes small cap is the best. Sometimes growth leads, sometimes value leads, sometimes that core blend leads. Sometimes internationals lead, sometimes stocks lead, sometimes bonds lead. We don't know what's going to happen, but there's a method to the madness to figure out how much money, what percentage of your money should be in each one of those asset classes to give you the most effective potential possibility for growth. We call it modern portfolio theory. It's not really very modern. It's been around for decades. But the bottom line is there is a method to the madness to divide up the money within these asset classes based on how much risk you want to take to get you the highest potential possible reward. So that, my friends, is what asset allocation boils down to at its more micro level. So again, to recap, 139 million Google articles boils down into knowing there's four real pieces of asset allocation. What's the purpose of your money? What's the time frame you're going to spend it in? What investment vehicle is appropriate for both of those things? And then what asset classes inside that vehicle do we really want to dive down and actually invest dollars into? So I hope that's been helpful for you just to think about how asset allocation really does impact you at a personal level and with the dollars in your own portfolio. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list includes 10 recipients per state. The award is based on qualitative and quantitative data, rating thousands of wealth advisors with a minimum of seven years of experience and weighing factors like revenue trends, assets under management, compliance records, industry experience, and best practices. The award is not based on portfolio performance or client reviews. There is no fee in exchange for rankings. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. 
These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation.